Amen. Good morning, Grace Hill. How is everybody? It's good to be here. Thank you for bearing with us this morning on some of our technical difficulties, the fun of being a, a mobile church. Every once in a while, you turn something on and it doesn't work. And so you got to figure out what to do. So man, uh, just thanks to our production crews who quickly ran to our kids space and stole their sound system and brought it in here. So we'll pray for our kids as well because we took their stuff so that we could enjoy uh, church this morning. Um, it's so good to be here. Uh, I love gathering with you. Welcome. Uh, my name's Alan. I'm one of the pastors here. If this is your first time here, uh, welcome to our church. Um, we're just glad that you're here, and we just want to open up God's Word this morning and see what God has to say. Uh, this is one of those crazy mornings at Grace Hill. Um, it's one of those mornings where it seems like things are not going the way that they should be going. You know, sound systems shutting off, um, different things going on. I actually wasn't supposed to be here this morning. Um, I, I, my family and I, we were at the lake for the weekend, and I had a good friend of mine scheduled to come in and, and preach to y'all this morning from our series here, King Jesus, and about 48 hours ago, he called me and said, hey man, I'm so sorry, I have to, I have to back out. Um, and so uh, I quickly um, grabbed my Bible and uh, jot down some notes, first time I ever preaching from handwritten notes, because I haven't had my computer. And so, uh, you know, it's one of those mornings. So I, I just wanted to let you know that in case uh, this morning... The sermon isn't up to par as to what you're normally used to. But I have a question. Why do I feel the need to say that to you? Why do I feel the need to, to give some preemptive defense to ensure that you don't judge me when it comes to this sermon and the kind of preacher that I am and, and all of those things? The, the reality is my heart fears that. My heart fears you and what you think of me. And what does that say about me? What does that say about my heart? It says that I want to take this time that we have as a church together to, to gather and, and hear from God's word. I want to take this time and I want to use it to craft a, a favorable or impress, impressive image of me. Right? There's genuine motive in me. I, I long for all of us here at Grace Hill to be pointed to Jesus and to hear from his word and to leave here today worshiping God because we heard from his word. That's in my heart too, but I've got mixed motive inside of me. I want to point you to Jesus, but I also want to hijack this moment for myself as well. Now I know I'm being harsh with myself, but I wanted to confess that to you this morning because it's exactly what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're going to be talking about this fear that we all carry with us of what other people think about us. And many of us struggle with this fear in all kinds of different ways. For some of us, um, just in everyday life, as we go about and do the things that God has called us to do, we have these mixed motives in our hearts. We want people to like us and to think favorably on us, kind of like me right now. For others of us, it just brings debilitating anxiety. 
we fear so much what people think. You know, we can't help but overthink every interaction with people. We can't help but overthink or replay interactions that we've had with others in our head over and over and over again. And we wonder, should I go back to that person and and clarify a few things? Sometimes we can't even decide what to wear in the morning because we're assuming what others will think about us based off of our appearance. And so here's why this is important for us to talk about this morning, why we're going to address this. And and this morning in this sermon, I've got four points for you. So if you want to write these down, uh, you can do that. But I've got four points. So here's point number one. And this is why this is important for us to talk about it this morning. Here it is. Point one is this. When you are more concerned about yourself than God and others, you hijack your purpose. When you are more concerned about yourself than God or others, you hijack the purpose that God has for you in your life. Think about what I'm doing right now. If I am more concerned right now about what you think of me in this moment, and I'm more concerned about people thinking, oh, that was a great sermon, he's a great preacher, and giving me applause. If I'm more concerned about that, then I've hijacked God's purpose for me in this moment, which is to communicate God's word to you and point all of us to him. And I have made it about me. All right, we all struggle with this. Different ways and different forms. And this fits right into the series that we've been in as a church, King Jesus. We've been in this series uh, for a long time now, but this is a series that is all about what does it look like for Jesus to be king over every single area of my life? And this is what we've studied. We've studied the fact that God created us as image bearers. We were designed and created by God to bear the image of God, which means to point to God to represent him, to live for his glory in everything that we do. That's how God designed us, and therefore, that's where our joy is found. Man, we're firing on all cylinders when we live our lives for God. But the essence of sin is when we say, God, no, I don't want to do that with my life. I want to live for me. I want to point to me. I want others to think that I'm great. I don't want my life to be about people thinking you're great. So that's sin. So we're just wrestling with what does it look like to not live that way? And the reality is Jesus has forgiven us of that sin if we trust in him. But what Jesus has also done is he set us free to live differently as image bearers of God for his glory and for our joy. So we're in this little six-week stretch right now where we're talking about different topics and trying to apply this to each of those topics. So several weeks ago, we talked about our time. What does it look like for Jesus to be king of my time? Two weeks ago, we talked about our work. Last week, we talked about our family. And this morning, what we're going to talk about is our reputation, what others think of us. What does it look like for Jesus to be king of that. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to read in the Bible about one of Jesus' disciples. Okay, so we're going to read several different scriptures this morning. 
okay? And we're going to read about one of Jesus' disciples who famously struggled with this. Struggled with what other people thought about him. So I want to look at these instances where this person struggled with this. And then what I also want to do is look how Jesus responded to it. All right? Can you guess what disciple we're going to be talking about? Peter? Peter v. Peter. Yes, that's right. Of course, Peter famously struggled with this. There are three episodes in the Bible where Peter deals with this. And I want us to zoom in on each of these. I want us to see how Peter was more concerned about himself than God or others and how that hijacked God's purpose in Peter's life. All right, so if you have your Bible, open it to Matthew chapter 26. This is the first scripture we'll read. If you want to use your phone app, that's fine. We'll also have the verses on the screen behind me. But Matthew chapter 26. Let me uh, kind of set up the scene for you here. Matthew 26, we're later on in the ministry of Jesus. We're in Jerusalem. Jesus is hours away from going to the cross. He just uh, had the last supper with his disciples. They enjoyed the Passover meal. So he's with his disciples. And then we have this little encounter between Peter and Jesus. So Matthew chapter 26 Verses 30 to 35. says this, And when they, that's Jesus and his disciples, sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, to all the disciples, You will all fall away because of me this night. Remember, Jesus is hours away from being arrested and executed on the cross. You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. That's Zechariah 13, 7. He's quoting that prophecy. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Now Peter answered him, Though they fall away, the other 11 disciples, Though they fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times, Peter. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. So we have this this scene here where Jesus is giving a warning to all 12 disciples. And so what does Jesus do? He lumps all the disciples into the same category. All of you are going to fall away from me tonight. It's actually been prophesied. And Peter didn't like that. Right? And and, and instinctually, without thinking, by default, maybe by force of his personality, Peter was in this moment where he's like, whoa, 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 Jesus, they might fall away, but, but not me. See, I resonate with Peter here because I'm a competitive person. And so I could see if I were in this with Jesus and Jesus put me in the same category as everyone else, what's going through my head and my heart in that moment is, oh, Jesus, okay, challenge accepted. Let's see what happens tonight. I promise I won't be the one to deny you. This is what Peter is doing. He felt this need to separate himself from the group. He was the exception. 
He was the outlier. He was the best disciple. And it was important for Peter to make that clear because he's concerned about what Jesus and the other disciples think about him. He's concerned that they don't see him as one where it's, yeah, Peter, he would fall away. No, Peter wants them to think, no, Peter, oh, that guy would never fall away. And he has to make it clear. So this leads to our second point that I want you to to get this morning. That's this, point number two. Your purpose is not to be the best. Your purpose in life is not to be the best. See here, Peter was more concerned with himself than God or others, and that hijacked his purpose right there. Peter thought in this moment that his purpose was to prove himself as the most faithful disciple. And I think he was genuine. I think he had a genuine desire to love and follow Jesus. I don't think this was all just Peter being fake or competitive. I think he was genuine. But what Peter wanted was to be the most faithful disciple. But your purpose, Peter's purpose... My purpose right now is not to be the best. It's not to be the most. And when we believe that that is our purpose, it can bring so much anxiety in our life because we're going to be so concerned about people seeing us as the best or the most. Right? Your purpose right now in your life is not to be the best at your job. It's not to go to work and show yourself as the best employee, the most skilled, the one where everyone looks to you and says, he knows what's going on around here the best. That's not your purpose. Your purpose is not to be the best mom, where every mom out there looks to how you parent your kids and the diet that you feed your kids and your schedule and your crafts and your ideas and say, that's the standard that I want to rise to. Look at her. That's not your purpose. My purpose is not to stand up here and be the best preacher. There is tons of churches around here with phenomenal preachers. And my job is not to be better than them. That's not my purpose. Our purpose is not to be the best. All right, so so what is my purpose? Well, I'll tell you in a second. Let's go to the next episode. Second time that we see Peter struggle with this. It's also in Matthew 26. Let's keep at the same chapter here, Matthew 26. But what we just read is, is Jesus assure Peter, hey, Peter, No, you are going to deny me three times tonight. And so later that evening, Jesus is arrested and he's brought before the chief priest to be questioned. Peter's sitting outside. And then we'll pick up our next passage here. Start in verse 69. So Matthew 26, I'm going to read verses 69 to 75. It says, now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard And a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I I don't know what you mean. And, And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said to the bystander, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. Confidence. 
After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them. Your accent betrays you. You are totally from Galilee. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. Insert, he started to cuss. I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the sayings of Jesus. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now, what happened to to Peter's confidence, his bravado, his, his determination? Right? Peter even said to Jesus, I would die before I did that. What changed between verse 30 and, and verse 69? You know what, what changed? The group of people around him. What did not change was Peter's concern about what the people around him thought of him. And in the same way, Peter confidently assured Jesus he would not deny him. He just as confidently and brazenly denied Jesus in front of a new crowd. Again, Peter's concern for himself over God and others, it hijacked his purpose. All right, so here's our third point for the morning, and that's this. Your purpose does not change based on the people you are around. Your purpose does not change whether you're at work, whether you're with your family, whether you're here at church, whether you're hanging out with your friends, or you're halfway around the world on vacation. You have the same purpose. And how easy is it to change who we are and how we talk and what we care about based off of the people and the company and the audience that we have? And for Peter, the common denominator between these two episodes is his persistent concern of what people think about him. And the reason this hijacks your purpose is because in order to maintain an image that's favorable and that people love, the image that you want in front of people, you're going to have to change who you are based off of who you're around. And so what is our purpose then? Well, the next time Jesus and Peter talk, Jesus is going to tell Peter what that is. And he's going to tell us what that is. A lot of things happen between this denial of Peter and the next time that Peter and Jesus talk. Jesus is handed over to the Romans. He's beaten and crucified. He's buried in a tomb. He sits in there for three days dead. He's, he, he rises again. He appears to people. And then finally we have this moment where the disciples are up in Galilee and they're fishing and Jesus comes to them. And Peter has a moment with Jesus. Could you imagine what's going through Peter's heart and his belly right now? Or over the last several days since he denied Jesus and saw him get crucified? I mean, Peter acted so confident, so arrogant in his denial. The text says that he wept bitterly because he knew what he had done. I I imagine Peter is just sitting with this pit of failure and self-hatred in his stomach. And then he has this encounter with Jesus. Let's read it. John chapter 21. So go a few books in the Bible over. To your right, John chapter 21. 
I'm going to read verses 15 to 19. It says this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, real quick. I think what Jesus is saying here, when he says, do you love me more than these? I think Jesus is saying, hey, Peter, do you love me more than these disciples love me? It's a really interesting question. Because Jesus is clearly going back to that moment at the Last Supper where Peter was so confident that he was the best. And to that moment, where Peter denied Jesus. And Jesus is saying, Peter, are you the best? Do you love me more than all of these other disciples love me? And Peter, humbled, doesn't respond with comparison, but differently. Look at what he says, verse 15. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to Jesus, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Peter appeals to Jesus' knowledge. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Well, what do we mean by that? Feed my lambs. Jesus responds by telling Peter his purpose. This is Jesus calling Peter to be a leader in his church. Because Jesus is going to go ascend and be with the Father. He's going to commission his disciples to start the church and spread the gospel all over the world. And so Jesus right here says, Peter, do you love me? So what I need you to do is go feed my lambs. Go take care of my church. Build up my church. Go. This is your purpose. Verses 16 to 17. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Right, the process repeats, same question, same answer, same call on Peter's life. Peter denies Jesus three times, and three times Jesus restores Peter and places a purpose on his life. What was that purpose? Peter, you will spend your life serving others on my behalf. That's your purpose. So here, here's the fourth point I want us all to get this morning. All right, point one was when we're more concerned with God and others, I'm sorry, when we're more concerned with ourselves than God and others, we hijack our purpose. Point two is our purpose is not to be the best. Point three was that our purpose is not, uh, man, I blanked on purpose. Our purpose doesn't change based off of who we're around. And so here's point number four. Your purpose is to point people to Jesus. That's the purpose that Jesus gives Peter and specifically as a leader of the church. But to all of us as followers of Jesus, he gives us a purpose to point people to Jesus. You are now my ambassador. 
I have an appeal that I want to make to the world through you. Your purpose is not to be the best, the most, the most revered, the most respected, but to point people to Jesus. And that doesn't change whether you're at work or whether you're at home or with your family, your friends, or vacation, or wherever you're at. That's your purpose. God has sovereignly placed you in every single context of your life so you can live out this purpose. And this is what exactly this entire sermon series has been about. You were created, I was created as an image bearer of God. Our purpose is to point to him. Our purpose is to live for him in every sphere. There's not one part of our life that this does not touch. And sin is pointing to ourselves instead. See, God is looking to his church. He's looking to you. He's looking to me to be leaders in this world, to infiltrate the world with the gospel and point people to Jesus in every context. It's our purpose. See, in the same way that I can hijack God's purpose for this sermon by making it all about me, We can hijack God's purpose for us in every context by being anxious over what people think of us. God has a purpose for us, for the good of others, but we make it about ourselves. But here's what we cannot miss from the text here in John 21. There is no doubt that Peter struggled greatly in all of this. My guess is behind all of Peter's confidence and his competitiveness, that there was anxiety, there was guilt, there was shame, there was frustration that he struggled with this. And so after this huge blunder, I mean, this is a huge blunder. Peter so confidently tells Jesus he'll never deny him. And then he so confidently denies Jesus. After this, what's interesting when he encounters Jesus, Jesus doesn't sit him on the bench. Jesus doesn't say, Peter, you're hopeless. Your heart is wicked. You are so selfish. All you care about is yourself. You know what? I had a purpose for you, and now I don't have a purpose for you. You are of no use of me, to me. P- Jesus doesn't say this to Peter. Now, in that moment, in John 21, Jesus I'm sorry, Peter meets the grace of God through Jesus. And here's what you need to know about God's grace. God's grace will meet you exactly where you're at, but it will not let you stay there. You need to know this about God's grace. God's grace will meet you exactly where you're at, but it will not let you stay there. God's grace is not merely forgiveness. It is forgiveness. It is radical forgiveness. But it's not merely forgiveness. God's grace also sets us free to live out God's purpose in our life. See, when Peter encountered the grace of God, it was in the midst of all of this guilt and all of this shame Right? And Peter didn't need to get all clean and change his ways and prove himself to God before God would forgive him. That's exactly why Jesus went to the cross before this conversation. 
Jesus came and he had to live a life on this planet that was perfectly righteous. Jesus had to live the life we could not live because we have all these mixed motives in our heart. We're sinful. We want to make everything about us, not about God. So Jesus had to come and live a life that was righteous. And then Jesus went to the cross to die the death that we deserve for our sin. And so here's what happens. We get the reward from Jesus' righteousness, and Jesus takes the punishment for our sin. That's his grace upon us. And then he rises from the grave, conquering all of our sin, forgiving every bit of it, and defeating death, and setting us free to now live as God created us to live under his grace. Right? If you're like me, I'm ashamed of how easily I can take God's purpose in my life and hijack it and make it about me. Especially as a pastor. Pastor struggles with this, y'all. We struggle with this war inside of our hearts. We're supposed to be, you know, God's shepherd, God's representative to his people, to point people to Jesus as a living, right? That's what we're supposed to do. And we wrestle with all these mixed motives. And you know what? It can make me feel like, and I know it makes other pastors feel like, that, you know what? God should move on from me. Use somebody else. And I'm sure Peter felt that way. But God's grace meets us right where we are. That's the cross saying, I forgive you. This has been paid for. But I'm going to now move you to a better place. And that's what Jesus did for Peter. He deals with his sin and then doubles down on his purpose for him. Oh, Peter, I still want to use you for great things. And that's what God wants to do for you and what he wants to do with me. He wants to deal with our hearts. He wants to deal with our sin. He wants to forgive, lavish us with his grace. And then he wants to move us into the purpose that he has on our life. Because he knows that's where your joy is found. He knows that that is what is best for you. God loves you, and he wants what is best for you, and he is not going to let you stay here. His purpose for you is to point people to Jesus. And your life will not be fulfilled in the way that you long for it to be fulfilled until you embrace that, and by God's grace, let God move you there. But it's a process. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, you would think after this moment that Peter had with Jesus that Peter would be a changed man. I mean, that was a big blunder. Great moment of grace on the shores over breakfast with some fish with Jesus where he restores Peter. And you would think Peter was good. Never going to struggle with this again. I told you we are going to study three episodes where Peter struggled with this. And the next episode that we're going to look at was years later. Go in your Bibles real quick to Galatians, the book of Galatians. Several books over to your right, chapter 2. In the book of Galatians, Paul tells us of a moment where Peter struggled with this in a big way. Paul and Peter were in Antioch. Antioch was a town comprised of mainly Gentile, non-Jewish believers in Jesus. And they were up there with the church up there. And, and, and a group of people from Jerusalem show up, Jewish believers. Now, 
We might look at the church today and say, there's all these denominations and there are all these schisms and stuff. The early church was just like that. They had plenty of factions as well. And so this was one of the factions. There was some disagreement over a lot of things between Jewish and non-Jewish believers in Jesus and the church. And so you have a primarily Gentile church. Peter and Paul are there visiting. And you have a group come up from Jerusalem who are primary Jewish believers. All right? And let's read what happens. Galatians 2 Verses 11 to 14. Paul is writing. He says this, But when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, James was the leader of the church down in Jerusalem, he was eating with the Gentiles having a meal, enjoying company with them. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, fearing what the circumcision party would think about him. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the gospel... I said to Cephas, Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? Now, I could go forever on this passage. I love it, so I won't (laughs) right now. But what happened here? Peter's concern for himself hijacked his purpose as a church leader in this moment. Peter wanted to be seen in the best light by all groups of people. Remember, Peter wanted to be the best. And he wanted all groups of people to like Peter. So he was with this minority group, the Gentile group. He was hanging out with them. He was having a meal with them. He desired for this group to look to Peter. Man, we love Peter. He's great. He understands us. And then all of a sudden, this other faction of the church shows up. And Peter draws back. This is the group of power. These people came from James. They have the power in the early church. And Peter wants to make sure that they see him in a favorable light as well. So he distances himself. Peter changed based off of his his audience again. And it hijacked his purpose to point them all to Christ. And some people were sinfully influenced by Peter. Right? This was the opposite of his purpose. And the grace of God showed up to Peter in that moment in the form of Paul, who came to him and said, Peter, this is not in step with the gospel. Now listen, Peter wasn't benched. It wasn't as if they came and said, man, you can't be a disciple anymore. You can't be a leader of the church anymore. You're not allowed to do these things anymore. But Peter needed to be confronted on this, and that was God's grace. It met him exactly where he was, and it's seeking to move him to a better place. So here's my question for all of us this morning. Who do you fear? Who are the people in your life that you care so deeply about what they think about you? Where are you worried about what others people, other people think about you? I really encourage you this week, take some time, write those people down. Write the circumstances where your heart is wrought with anxiety over this down. 
Write how that anxiety hijacks the purpose that God has for you. In so many ways, we need to name these things like Jesus did with Peter and like Paul did with Peter. We need to name these things so we'll be open to what God's grace wants to do with us. And then we need to ask the question, what does it look like to respond to God's grace in this? Remember, God's grace is gonna meet you right where you're at. You don't need to clean yourself up for God to use you. You don't need to clean yourself up for God to continue to bless you and be with you. You are forgiven by the cross of Jesus Christ. God has an enormous purpose in your life and he is not interested in doing anything but moving you towards that, no matter how much you mess up. But we gotta come before God and say, God, I want your grace to move me, not let me just stay here. So what does it look like for you to respond to God's grace. Let me give you my example from this morning. You know, this temptation in my heart to make preaching all about me and and people liking me and who I am and, and my skills at doing this and all of that. Now, because I struggle with that, I'm not benched. I'm not put to the side. I'm not, you know, Alan, until your heart is 100% right, you can't serve in this way. I will struggle with this probably for most of my life. But here's what God's grace does. First, God's grace drops me to my knees. Because I know that my purpose is to point you to Jesus. It is to communicate God's word to you. And I know that I cannot do that without his help. And it's the same for you. In all of your context, your purpose in life is to point people to Jesus. And we need to get on our knees and ask God, God, what does that look like? Help me do this. Give me opportunities. Give me boldness. Help me to see people differently, not through this lens of what they think about me, but through a lens of how I can love and serve them by pointing them to Jesus. God's grace is going to drop us to our knees. And the second thing that God's grace is going to do is redefine success. Success for your day is not the biggest accomplishment. It's not, I was the best at what I did. Success for your day is simply this. Did I point people to Jesus? Right. Success for me this morning right here is not a working sound system. It's not, you know, perfect. Everything is working. It's not you know, having the best sermon notes or having most preparation time or you guys walking out of here thinking, man, that was the best church service ever. Success was, did we point you to Jesus? All of this that we have around us, screens and sound systems and seating and pipe and drape, this is extra. None of it's needed. It's not needed. The only thing that we need for this church to be successful at what God has called us to do is this, his word. Because we are called to preach this and point people to Jesus. That is our purpose. And in your life, that's your purpose. And that's going to radically define what success looks like for you. At your work, as a parent, whatever it is, that's your purpose. And nothing else. And God's grace wants to move you there. And I tell you what, as we go along with him, it puts our heart in a place where it is content and settled. Trying to be successful by the world's standards will do nothing but give us anxiety. So what does it look like for you 
to respond to God's grace. He wants to meet you where you're at today, right now, and he wants to move you. What does that look like? Let me pray for us. God, this morning, we are so grateful that we have the opportunity this morning, Lord, to to come together and to be together as a church, to sing songs together, to open up your word and to read it and think about how this applies to our life. God, we, we get the opportunity to do that. We don't need any of the stuff that we have for that. We're thankful for the resources that we have But God, we're just grateful that we could open up your word this morning. And my prayer this morning, Lord, is by your word that this morning there was somebody in here who was encouraged, who was convicted, who was built up, who was energized to to go about their week this week, living for the purpose that you have given them. God, I pray you would make your grace so evident to every single person in this room. We all struggle with different things in our heart, mixed motives, anxieties over what people think about us. God, help us to see how that hijacks the purpose that you have given us. And God, move our heart into a direction of seeing that the purpose you have given us is to be an influence, to love the people around us and point them to Jesus. We love you, God. We're thankful. We're thankful that we could gather together. And we pray that as we end our time right now in song, that you would just be magnified in worship. We love you. In Christ's name, amen.